Father God, I thank you that we can look at your word and that your word brings life and transforms us. This morning as we do, Lord, I pray that um, we would listen with open hearts and that you would help us to make the adjustments we need to so that we would be able to walk and live uh, as most effectively as we can, but also in a way that reflects you and honors you. In Jesus' name, amen. Right, so this morning we're going to start um, uh, a new series of teaching. We're going to look at the book of 1 Timothy. Well, it's actually a letter, but it's in the New Testament. And um, <clears throat> I want to give a little bit of background before we uh, launch into it, uh, in that uh, part of the New Testament is made up of uh, books, and some of them are letters, and Timothy is one of the letters. There's 1 and 2 Timothy, and uh, they're known as the pastoral letters, and they're written from Paul the Apostle to Timothy, who is based in Ephesus, um, which is in modern-day Turkey, if you didn't know. Um, but uh, he's there, and Paul is the one who's uh, sent him there. Or when they traveled, they left him there and asked him to, or told him that he needs to be there to put things correct right in the, in the leadership of the church, but also to appoint leaders and to sort some of the issues out that we're going there. Just some background on Timothy. Timothy, Paul, who the apostle met Timothy in a city called Lystra, in the, um, in you, which you can read of in Acts 16. His mother was Jewish and his father was Greek, uh, and he uh, really seemed to kind of stand out amongst the others around him in, in that area in, in, in the city. And when Paul went through, he asked him to come along with him, and he traveled with Paul throughout the New Testament, uh, uh, throughout uh, kind of his ministry journeys in the New Testament and, uh, and different places. So he helped him with uh, planting churches and preaching the gospel and uh, evangelizing the kind of Macedonia and uh, Achaia. But also Paul took Timothy under his wing. And in some places in the New Testament, Paul calls Timothy his son, meaning he's like a spiritual son. He took him along. He not only traveled with him, but he taught him. He discipled him. He, he nurtured the things that God was doing in his life so that he could do all that he was created to do and also input into him as a leader. And so actually Paul says of Timothy, I have no one like him. In other words, he really not only learnt the things about God, but also learnt from Paul the different things about leadership, about training, about equipping, about leading churches and, and doing things like that. So they travel throughout um, uh, the uh, the region, and you can see those on the new uh, in, in, in Paul's ministry journeys, and you can read through it in Acts. And the whole book of Acts lays it out. And in Acts chapter 19, you can see where they're at Ephesus, and there's a riot there, and then they travel on. And had, the last time they were in Ephesus, they had to leave because uh, it looked like they were going to be killed by the, the rioters. But then they carry on ministering and going around those nations, uh, those areas, and um, preach the gospel and start a number of different churches. And then sometime after Acts 28, Paul and Timothy go through again through to Ephesus. And that's when Paul asks Timothy to stay there to sort out the issue. You see, earlier on, when Paul, and we'll see this, when, when the church has started in Ephesus, they establish elders and leaders. Uh, and, and Paul speaks of the things that God has for them there. But, and um, Paul sends them back there. And leaves them there because there were some issues that were happening in the life of the church. And when we look at this letter, Paul is now, he carries on traveling and he's imprisoned again. He gets imprisoned a number of times and he writes to Timothy in Ephesus because he knows where he's left him. He knows why he's left him there and he knows the commission he's got. But also he realizes that he might never get there now because of the prison uh, that he's in. Uh, and he writes to Timothy to encourage him, to strengthen him, to help him with what has to happen. And so as we read the book of T- the, 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 the book of Timothy or the letter of Timothy, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, uh, 2 Timothy, what we see is someone pouring out their wisdom and encouragement to, to this young man who was probably about 30 years old because the task that he faced was not an easy one. 
uh, and uh, he needed to be encouraged. But also, it not only helps him, but when we look at that, you'll see some parallels that you can see in the church today, in the world that we live in today. And so, although this is a letter primarily from Paul to Timothy in that day, it is also part of Scripture, and God uses it to train us and equip us with what we need to do, but also shows us quite clearly what it means to be a mature believer and how to live our lives in a way that reflects God, that uh, impacts the world around us. And so that's where we get to the background of the book of Timothy. It gives you a bit of context in that. In Acts chapter 20, which is where Timothy, was, I mean, Paul and Timothy were in Ephesus and they're saying goodbye to the Ephesian leaders, um, Paul gives this prophetic warning to the church in Ephesus many years before. And this is what it says in Acts chapter 20, verse 29 and 31. I know that after I leave you, he's speaking to the elders of the church in Ephesus, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. That's speaking about people and the church. Even from your own number, men will rise and distort the truth in order to draw disciples away from them. So be on your guard. And then a number of years later, that's exactly what had happened. And that's why Timothy was left in Ephesus, because that exact thing had happened. And Timothy finds himself then having to deal with this issue of putting right those things that have gone wrong. And they're leaders in the church. So the book of Timothy and the book of Titus, Paul writes to those two young men, Timothy and Titus, similar situations, very different contexts. And Titus, I think a number a while ago, I think last year, maybe the year before, we looked at the book of Titus and we saw that God uh, commissioned uh, 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 Paul, instructed Titus to, to raise up leaders and appoint elders in each one of the churches across the island of Crete, which is where he was. Here, there already are leaders. And the problem is, just like Paul had prophetically spoken, it's some of those leaders that were the problem. So this young man had a huge challenge on his hands to come in to challenge, correct, possibly remove some leaders and also appoint some new leaders, which takes courage. Because in the church, it's not like business where you can come in, you call the head office, they come in, they fire, fire everybody and hire everybody else. And uh, This is the church. This is the family of God where there are relationships and, and there, there's the there's that sense of community. And so in, in some ways for someone to, church leadership is not for the faint-hearted, but it's like for, there's a challenge that he faced because you have to stand up and say, this is the truth, sometimes to family, sometimes to friends. In this case was to leaders that they'd known, that they had put in place and say, actually what you're doing is wrong and we need to correct that and this is where we're going. So that's why Paul understood all of this and said he wrote to Timothy to encourage him and to strengthen him so that actually he could carry on doing what he had been called there to do. And through this we see that there's this model of what it means to be a mature believer. But right at the very beginning, and we're going to read the text in a minute, Paul starts off by saying to Timothy in chapter 1, verse 5, the goal of this command, so the whole thing about putting things correct and commanding people to stop doing things, the, whole of this, the goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience. In other words, it's reminding us that when God brings correction, when God brings adjustment, it's for our good. And our motivation should always be one of love and grace and mercy to see how we move in the things of God. So because of God's great love for us. And so as we read over the next few weeks and even this morning's text, you're going to see there's some things that are not easy to hear. They rarely are not. But we need to hear them. And we need to hear them from the, with this understanding that they come from the point 
of love and grace and mercy. And God draws us to himself, challenges and corrects for our own good and for his glory. And no matter what goes on around us, no matter what was going on around them in Ephesus, he starts by reminding Timothy that God is still Savior. Jesus is still Lord. The gospel is still our hope and promises grace and mercy and love and peace. And so as we start, bear that in mind, that when God speaks, even the things that we don't find easy, we need to listen because he is always right. And we need to be able to be made adjust, make adjustments from that. So if you've got your Bible, why don't you turn? I think it will come up. Jess has got it there. 1, 1 Timothy chapter 1. I'm going to read, I'm going to read the whole chapter. And then we'll look at it. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Savior and Christ Jesus our hope. To Timothy, my true son in the faith. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I left you in Macedonia, stay there in Eph- uh, when I went to Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus, <clears throat> so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer, or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. These promote contro- uh, con- controversies or controversies, whatever way you say it, rather than God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. Some have wandered away from these and turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they're talking about or what they so confidently affirm. We know that the law is good if the one uses it properly. We also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, unholy, irreligious, those who kill their fathers and mothers for murderers, for adulterers, for perverts, for slave traders, for liars, for perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which we which he entrusted to me. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. And for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example to those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by following them you may fight the good fight, holding on to faith and good conscience. Some have rejected these and have shipwrecked their faith. Among these are Hermione and Alexander, whom I've handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. What we have here is the first part of the letter. If you actually look at the whole letter, and I'd encourage you to read the whole of 1 Timothy. It's not long this week so that you kind of get a big broad picture, but starts with a, with a reminder of the command and encouragement and then goes through and teaches about different things, very practical things that we'll be looking at, and then in the end reminds him again of the command and the encouragement to carry on with what God has for him. But the, the starting point where he's speaking about what Paul's speaking about are these, these people who are teaching things that are wrong, that are the contrary to Scripture. 
which is what he spoke and warned them of prophetically in Acts 20 that I mentioned earlier. But Timothy needs to deal with these situations. Not just say to people, don't listen to them. But Paul says to them, you need to command the ones who are speaking to keep quiet and to correct their doctrine and to, correct and, and, and to, to put them back on the straight path. You see, the role of a leader in a church is to make sure that what is taught is in line with Scripture. Within, that, that is in line with truth. Part of our role as elders is to guard the truth in the local church. So that what is taught lines up with Scripture. But it's not enough just to warn people not to do that, but actually correct those who are doing it. And Paul's encouragement to Timothy is that these that are speaking and teaching these things are not the kind of, I don't know, because it was a big church. And, and Ephesus is, I think at the time, was the fourth largest city in the world. So it's a happening place. And there was a lot that was going on. If you do some research, there was an incredible, what's one of the wonders of the world, the Artemis Temple, that was all kind of Greek mythology and everything else. So there was a big place and stuff was going on. But the, the people that were teaching weren't the kind of strange oddballs on the fringes of the church. Those people that everybody avoids. These were people that actually were leaders, that had a voice, that were gathering men and women around them to actually teach them about what they felt was right. And, and the problem was that they had majored on minor things. They had taken and misinterpreted the law. That's why Paul says that the law is good if it is used correctly. They had taken elements of the law and mixed it with their own understanding. They had taken minor points and kind of emphasized those and the genealogies and everything else. And they'd made this mix that was no, it became Gnosticism, which is another whole theological thing. But what they were saying is actually they looked at characters in the Bible and very isolated and highlighted some of the points but not the others. They, they said that, the, that everything in, in the world, all matter, was evil and that the only way to salvation is through certain secret things and not marrying and not eating these certain foods and all this nonsense and people were being drawn away. And these little side issues that were, were non-issues rarely, they, became, they highlighted them, they became main points. And genealogies and arguments and, and about silly things then caused an issue. And Paul's saying to him that actually those aren't the guys that no one knows. Those are people that are leading. Not all the leaders, some of them. And deal with that because for the sake of the church, for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of the gospel, it needs to be dealt with. And he reminds them that actually it's about the gospel. You see, we need to keep the main truths of Scripture the main truths for us. What, what Scripture majors on, we to major on. What Scripture minors on, we to minor on. The problem comes when we take a minor thing in Scripture and we make it a major issue. We lose the sight of Jesus and the gospel. We lose sight of the truth of the word. They mixed up the laws of God with their current thinking. And all these controversial things that they made speculations and things about just became issues that then caused dissension and disunity in the church. And, and the same applies today. That we need to be careful because actually for people, if, 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 
And those of you who know me know that I, I like for, I, I'm all for wrestling with Scripture to come to an understanding of Scripture and what the truth is. And there's no question that's, that is heretical in, 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 in the search for the truth. And that's what we, you just come to our home group, that's what we discuss, what is preached so that we can wrestle with it and come to a point of truth. But, but when we take things just to, to be contentious for the sake of being contentious, you run the risk of losing sight of the gospel and damaging the bride and causing disunity. But also you run the risk of then becoming so focused on those things that you derail your own faith. I have people that were friends of ours that, are, that we don't see anymore that they, and they were leaders and now, now they no longer believe that the things of the truth of the gospel. Sad. And it's because they took minor things and it became a major issue. And they lost their way of the truth of who Jesus is and the cross. And the same thing that they face, it might not be, I, hope, I trust it's not us speaking wrong doctrine, that's why we've got teams of people who speak. And, but there's so much available nowadays on the internet, on um, social media, every person who appears to be a believer is happy to speak and preach. And, and so we need to be able to discern what is right and what is wrong. Yes, there's so much we can do here as we gather together, but each one of us, when we, we have access to everything. But we need to know and be able to work out, is this truth or is this error? Is this something that is, lines up with what Scripture says? Is it majoring on the things that God has majored on in, in Scripture? Or is it taking some obscure things and making whole theologies out of it? And that's why God gives us the Holy Spirit who, who is with us and helps us to actually understand what is right and what is wrong. When someone preaches, we're able to recognize, well, that contradicts this part of Scripture and this part of Scripture, and then we question it. We only know that if we read Scripture ourselves, but also that's why God puts us in community, so that together we can work at growing in our understanding of the truth, but also in that, it protects us from error that might come. Does that make sense? So here, that's what was happening in Ephesus with these guys preaching, but it also happens around the world today. And the problem is if you're just one degree out here, there's a slow drift, and then one day you weigh off. And the challenge that we find is that people try and define the truth by what's around them. And they start defining the truth, the truth by their own lens and alter what they're not comfortable with or what doesn't sit right in society which then leads to compromise. You see, Paul was saying to, to, to um, Timothy and the church in Ephesus, because that letter would have, been written out, would have been read out to the church. And they lived in the era where Nero was um, the emperor of Rome, and, and he was a violent, horrible man killing Christians all over the place. He was saying, actually, your biggest threat isn't from without, isn't from outside the church. Their biggest threat was actually those that were in the church. And the same we see today, where people who are in the church start reading Scripture and interpreting it through the lens of society, through their own lens, when something comes up that's really uncomfortable or isn't popular, then start changing it. And then soon the gospel is not the gospel. And the truth that's supposed to set people free is not the truth at all. 
but actually people live in deception. What happens then is that we start judging things from our own standards rather than from God's. And we see that today, unfortunately, across the world. And the sad thing is that they then start telling us, people who profess to be believers, that we need to stop believing those things and start believing these things. And these terms like the Bible's outdated or it's culturally irrelevant, or, and that's nonsense because it's eternal truth. You see, when we read the scriptures, we see that it's the truth of God and we are subject to his truth, which is the truth. The truth of God's word is not subject to our opinion or the opinion of those around us or the practices or the sensibilities of the world. That's to say God is below us because it's his word. That's why being a believer is actually not easy in the world that we live in. Because of the truth of God's word, as we set our face towards him and set our hearts to live as he's called us to live, that's going against what a lot of the, most of, if not all the world says. And unfortunately, we're seeing that happen in the lives of the church, where the church starts to mess with the truth and compromise the truth because it's not comfortable and it's not easy. And also, no one in society likes to be corrected. They might say they do, but as soon as someone corrects them, then that's, you soon find out. And you see, we need to be corrected. We need to be corrected by the truth of God's word in community with each other. And that's what Paul was telling Timothy. You need to correct this. You need to command. You need to tell them. You need to stop them. In actual fact, he says later on that we read there that they, he names two people, Alexander and Hermione, that, they, that had, he had to deal with. And if you read t- t- the book of Titus, at the end of the book of Titus, you understand how that process is. He says, warn a divisive person once, warn him a second time, and, warn, and if he doesn't listen the third time, then have nothing to do with him. That's, what, that's the context of actually, Timothy, you need, this is serious because it's the church, it's the bride of Christ, it's a family of God. And we need to be those who live our lives based on the truth that brings life and freedom and wholeness. But he always starts with the reminder that the goal is love. It's not Paul, the boss, sending a stick in. It's God and his love and his grace and his mercy. Why? Because God knows what's right. God knows what's best. God knows how he's created us to live. And he extends that grace and mercy to us, undeserving, so that we can follow him and live in a relationship with him. So Paul challenges Timothy and commands him to put these things right. He then goes on, as we read, to remind him of the incredible grace and mercy of God. And we need to be reminded of that ourselves. The grace and mercy that God extends towards everybody who is sinful and undeserving. 1 Timothy 1 verse 15 says this, here is a trustworthy saying, we read it earlier, that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ may display his unlimited patience as an example for those of you who would believe. What he's saying is that when you look at his life, in his mind, if we, he was undeserving. He says he was a murderer and a, a, a violent man. And we know that if you read Acts, you see that Paul was originally called Saul and you can see what he did. 
And in, the, and in society then, the believers would have thought the most unlikely person to ever turn to God or experience grace and mercy was probably Saul, who was Paul. He said, yet, I was the prime candidate because it shows the incredible grace and mercy and love of Jesus. You see, when we look at Jesus' life, Jesus often offended the, relig- the religious types. And we read the, when we read in here where it said that, speaking about the law, that the law was not for the righteous but the unrighteous, the, God, the godless, the rebels, the sinful, the unholy, the irreligious, the murderers, the perverts, the whatever, whatever, whatever. Basically saying everybody. And when we start looking at that from our own viewpoint and comparing things to ourselves, we can look at that and we think, well, that person's good, that person's not so good. That person's worse. But you know, that's the wrong thing to do. Because actually, we're not to compare ourselves to ourselves or to others. We, because in comparison to others, we might think, actually, that's, we're not so bad. But that's judging things through our lens. And that's the whole problem with humanity. When we look at ourselves, not according to or in comparison to others, but in comparison to the goodness and the perfection of God, no one, no one measures up. And sin is sin. In our minds, whether it's big sin or small sin, that's the wrong viewpoint. And that's us sitting in judgment again. Sin is sin. Whether it's, we were watching something on TV and someone said, what was the thing about a white lie, a white lie and a what lie? Yeah, there's someone in this movie said there's, there's, a, there's a difference between t- telling a white lie and, and blatantly not telling the truth. It's like, well, no, not really. But we tend to do that. We think, well, these people, they're terrible. I'm not so bad. See, Paul starts by telling Timothy, you need to deal with these people who are speaking, taking the truth out of context and bringing error, which is the, the enemy within. And then he goes on to, now we need to look at our hearts. Look at our hearts, because actually it's about the grace of God. And when I compare myself to others, in my own eyes, I might be fine. But when I compare myself to God and the perfection of what he calls us to, none of us measure up. And he says that's the incredible grace and the mercy of Jesus and the message of the gospel is for everybody. If you look at Jesus, he offended the religious people. Those who said, well, you can't do this and you must do that and think you're good. And Jesus went and spent time with the Samaritans. The, uh, he went and stayed with Zacchaeus, who was despised because he kind of worked with a, with a, it was a tax collector, so worked with the Romans. He, he met with the fishermen and the, and, and, and the, the prostitutes and those that the society shunned. And the, the church or the religious people said, you can't do that. Jesus went and reached them. And then he tells parables or stories about things like the, the two sons and the one who went off and lived to the excess of everything he could, didn't deny himself any pleasure, and then came to the point of realizing he had nothing and deserved nothing. So went back to his dad, which was a parallel of God, who was waiting with arms open wide. You see, he, Paul says we need to speak the truth, but then remember this, the grace and mercy of God. That was extended to him, the worst of sinners. And we look at Paul and think, well, he was quite bad compared to some of us. But all of us are bad. And you see, the church, because uh, uh, we can't judge the world. We're not called to judge anybody. But we can't put on the world the ways of the kingdom because they don't know God. Paul himself said, I did it out of ignorance and un- lack of understanding. The world, do the th- those who don't know God, do the things they do, live how they do, because they don't know him. 
and they live from a point of what we believe. You see, that's why making sure that what we believe, the truth, is right, is so important. Because what you believe impacts how you live. And Paul is saying that actually the church, we can so easily look over our own faults or our own sin and point a finger and judge the world. Look how bad they are. That's not how we're to live. That's not how we reach people. And Paul saying, he stopped and he said, considered his life the worst of sinners. This is what I was. In his mind and his heart, he was the worst, most undeserving. Others might have looked and said, well, you weren't that bad. The same is true for us. When we look and he encourages us, I believe he writes that, so encourages the church to examine themselves. And don't forget the incredible miracle of your salvation and my salvation. That we were the worst of sinners. You were. I, I was. We all were. And yet God in his grace and his mercy saves us. Calls us home. Restores. Rebuilds. Fixes, heals, makes whole, gives a hope and a future. You see, when, when we as believers focus on others, not ourselves, and don't deal with the issues of our own heart, we can become so judgmental. And yet, Paul's saying, I was the worst of sinners. And that made me the prime candidate to receive God's grace. And the same is true for all of us. And the same, then that should really be the thing that moves our hearts to reach others with the grace and mercy of the message of God. You see, when we forget the awesome miracle of our salvation, we lose the plot. Our purpose for being here is not to judge those who don't know God, but to love them. To bring them to a point that they meet Jesus. We should always be on the lookout for those who are yet to be friends of God. For those who are yet to be part of the family of God. And if we forget the miracle of our salvation... And then we start majoring on minor things. We become incredibly judgmental. We lose the focus of God, the glory and the mystery of our salvation, and the incredible privilege that it is to be his child. Looking back at God's mercy should cause us to worship him wholeheartedly, unreservedly but it should also draw us and soften our hearts towards others. You see, as we go through this letter, we'll see different things that are picked up. But if we read it from a point of view of, even that first bit that we read where it says the law is right for those, for those who are unrighteous, and we list, he started listing those things, if we read that with a wrong perspective, 
we can say, well, actually, the enemy is outside the church. We don't have anything to do with them when we're blind to actually what's going on within us. Remember that the goal is love. God's love and mercy, the miracle of the gospel. We have received mercy and grace, and we continue to receive mercy and grace. Because although we are saved, we are still being saved. Though at salvation we were washed clean, we still mess up and are being constantly cleaned. So where's our heart? So the two things from this morning, and ending off, and I'm nowhere near on my notes, I don't know where I am, are these two things. Know the truth. Spend time reading the Word of God. Build relationships in the church community where you can wrestle with the truth of Scripture. So that the things that you don't understand or the questions that we have, we can wrestle with those so that we believe it and we own it and it transforms us. You see, if, if you just believe it because I've said it, you don't really believe it. So read scripture. Build relationships that can help one another. All of us learn from everybody. If we sit and we sit under the authority of the scriptures, not over them. And ask God to help you to discern when something is preached that is error or something, especially online. Whether it be social media, I don't know, TikTok, anything. There's a lot that happens on TikTok, so I'm told. Or I get sent things that's got TikTok written on it. All those different things. Ask God to give you a discerning spirit to be able to say, there's something off. And if you're not sure, bring it to one of us. That's what church leadership's there for. Say, look, I was listening to this. It sounds quite good, but so that we remain on track keeping the main things of the scripture, the main things in our lives. And then the second part. So the one is the truth. Contend for the truth. Know the truth. Live the truth. The other is then live with a soft heart before God and towards others. Remember the awesomeness and miracle of your salvation. Because like Paul, each one of us with the worst sinners. If we didn't think so, why would we never tell anybody of anything that we do that is wrong? Because we think we're the only ones, it's so terrible, no one's going to love me, da 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 da. No one, no one is beyond the reach of God and, his go- and the message of the gospel. Just as you weren't, so they aren't. And so we need to love and reach out and share and introduce them to the Savior of the world. Because it's only in relationship with Him that they will be restored and come to healing and wholeness and get clean and live different. But it starts with knowing Jesus. As we go on through the next few weeks, there are going to be things, I think possibly even next week, that's going to touch some nerves. But that's good. Because 
we all need to change. We all need to subject ourselves to the truth of the word. But remember as he started, the goal is love. The goal is God's love for us that draws us to fruitfulness, to wholeness, to life with him. Okay? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the incredible grace and mercy that has been extended to each one of us. Lord, there's nothing that we've done that makes us worthy of receiving your grace and mercy and salvation. Yet, Jesus, you did it all. Thank you, Father God, that we are now your children. Help us, Lord, I pray, not to give up, not to draw back, not to remain silent and not to be swayed by every clever thought or wind of doctrine. But Lord, that we would hunger for more of your word and that we would know the truth and that the truth would set us free to live as you've created us to live. God, I pray for each one of us as we look at your word day in, day out, especially where it challenges us or goes against what we have understood or society says, that we would stand with boldness, with courage, and not be swayed. But Lord, I also pray that we would live with soft hearts, not just towards you, but towards all those around us, whether they are believers or unbelievers, whether they're yet to come into a relationship with you or those who've known you for longer than we have. God, that our hearts would be soft, that we would be those who extend grace and mercy. We would encourage one another, disciple one another, but also draw people to you and show them who you are. God, help us overcome ourselves. Help us overcome our own sensitivities or prejudices that we would reflect you to those around us, that you would be glorified and honored. In Jesus' name, amen.